Hello, and welcome to People of the Pod, brought to you by American Jewish Committee. Each week, we take you beyond the headlines to help you understand what they all mean for America, Israel, and the Jewish people. I'm your host, Manya Brashear-Pashman. In many parts of the world, students are heading back to school. So joining me as guest co-host this week is Meggie Wishagrod-Fredman, AJC's director of the Alexander Young Leadership Department. Meggie, welcome to our virtual studio. The mic is all yours. Thanks, Manya. I am joined by Tilly Shemer, executive director of University of Michigan Hillel. University of Michigan is one of the top five most Jewish schools by Jewish population and is home to one of the largest Hillels in the nation. As students head back to campus, we are fortunate to be joined by someone who has a front row seat to the difficult realities, as well as the wealth of opportunities that are awaiting American Jews on campus. Tilly, thank you for joining us on People of the Pot. Thanks so much for having me. I'm so happy to be here. When we speak about the Jewish campus experience, there's what's captured in the headlines, which more often than not, captures the very real rise in anti-Semitism facing many students. And then there's what's not captured in the headlines. Vibrant Jewish life awaiting students on campus during their most formative years. For students listening, I want to be sure that we discuss both of these realities. So first, let's address the headlines. Last spring, University of Michigan received significant coverage for a series of very anti-Israel statements from the student government and other bodies on the heels of Israeli-Palestinian violence in May, as well as physical acts of anti-Semitism against Hillel and, as Michigan current students and alum know belovedly, The Rock. This was accompanied by a weaker-than-hoped-for response from the administration, which left Jewish and pro-Israel students feeling unheard and vulnerable. So Tilly, help us understand what's happening on campus and what Jewish students did to address it. Well, thank you for the question. And I really appreciate and understand all of the concern and the interest that happens outside of campus. And I want to start just by sharing a little bit about what felt new about this moment. Typically, when something comes up on campus like a divestment resolution to student government. The Jewish students that have a relationship with Israel, that want to share their voice, that want to put forward a different narrative, they have the opportunity to come to student government and to do so. And what felt different about this is that the student government chose to make a unilateral statement. And it was just a few of the leadership students of that student government, not even the whole student assembly, And they made this decision that, as you say, was quite one-sided and quite extreme in its language, I would say. And we saw this come up in other schools and other departments across the country. And when you have a student government using this kind of voice, it actually elevates this one-sided voice beyond the individual group that maybe in the past would have been the one who was speaking in this way, but it elevates it to a campus-wide voice or to have a campus-wide impact. And I think that that's what really left many Jewish students, um, in particular those with a strong connection to Israel, feeling that they were unseen, that they were unrepresented, that they didn't hear another perspective that recognized the suffering that Israelis were going through this summer as well, 
or even acknowledge that there was anything else happening. This statement was actually even released at the very moment that there were rockets that were falling on Israel. And that was what was particularly upsetting for our students. Um, And then the other part of your question, and what's not often covered in the press, are the responses from the Jewish students after these kinds of incidents emerge. We had Hillel students who spoke at the next student government meeting to make sure that their voice was heard. One of our Israel groups immediately pulled together a dialogue space for Jewish students to talk about how they felt once the statement was released. They also invited student government leadership who were responsible for the statement to come to listen to Jewish students share in this space how impacted they felt by the statements and how unseen and offended they were by the statements. And also the university administration reached out to our Hillel community. We had students who lodged complaints that met with administration directly. The follow-up is what usually is missing from the way in which these stories are told. And unfortunately, the positive is also often not reported. So I'm glad to have the opportunity to share in that a little bit more today. I just also want to be clear that these were elected students, but this was not the entire assembly. And we also were supporting students who were Jewish and students who were a part of the student government, a part of the assembly, who were also wanting to have their voice heard by the leadership of student government to tell them that this didn't represent them and this is not why they ran for their positions in the first place. Unfortunately, these student government leaders, they chose to take one side and they really did not care to represent the broader campus community in this situation. Tilly, you mentioned unilateral action and this notion of a small group taking action that appears like they are speaking for all. Having lived through the experience that we just discussed, what advice do you have for students who are on campus and experience student governments adopting anti-Israel statements or advocating for the adoption of BDS? Great. Well, I'll offer two ways of getting involved. And one is based on experience. About four years ago, we saw probably the 11th or 12th divestment resolution come up to student government. Previous to that, it failed in student government, but I think it was the 12th time that it passed through student governments. And I just want to be clear that even though it passed through student government, it didn't have an impact on our broader campus community in terms of the university making any decisions around divesting their resources from Israel in any way. But when it came up, it really impacted our students that a divestment resolution did pass through student governments. And it was just a matter of the configuration of students and the way in which they responded to the divestment resolution that came forward. They responded to vote for it. And what I saw after that, which was so fascinating, was that spring when there was another election for student governments, it was very clear that that election in its own way, was a campus-wide referendum around this issue. And we saw for the next three years that every student government that was elected really did not take on this issue of divestments or the Israeli-Palestinian conflict as their key issue. And so I would recommend that if these issues are important to you, that you vote and that you 
Take advantage of opportunities to put yourself in leadership positions because it's the students who are in these leadership positions that bring their interests to their organizations, to student government. So if this is something that's important to you, certainly get involved in student politics. And then my second recommendation, and I'm sure that it sounds obvious coming from me, is to just be involved in your Hillel. We have multiple Israel groups that are certainly not sitting around waiting for something anti-Israel to happen. They are active throughout the year. They bring thoughtful, meaningful program to their campus community regarding Israel. I find that it's our student leaders who are the ones that feel most empowered and most supported to speak up to their student government representatives and share with them when their actions do not represent them or don't represent a significant population of students on campus. Thanks, Tilly. Thanks for that. Here at AJC, we spend a lot of time thinking about growing anti-Semitism. And we know that in academia, there just isn't enough awareness, and many of our students really feel ill-equipped to call it out. As someone who has been working with Hillel's, with Jewish students for nearly two decades, what are you witnessing in regards to the evolution of anti-Semitism and anti-Israel rhetoric? How is it different than what you've seen in the past? Well, I think, as I mentioned before, what's different is that it's not solely found in one or two anti-Israel groups on campus. We are seeing it emerge in other spaces and students bringing it into their leadership role in student government and in other groups on campus that want to show their solidarity with the Palestinian community. I think a few things are important. I think, number one, it's really important that we help our students find their voice around these issues and help them feel that they can engage in this and bring their own voice to the conversation. But I also think that it's important for us to really dispel the myths that continue to perpetuate and grow on campus through our relationships with these groups. And primarily the myth that I think that we need to address most is the myth of there being a binary, that you are either pro-Israel or pro-Palestinian and you can't be both. And what I see amongst our Jewish students is really still a very strong support for a two-state solution. They would consider themselves supportive of Palestinian statehood, of Palestinian rights, but they also hold support for Israel and they wish to see a resolution. They wish to see two people living peacefully side by side. So they get very frustrated when only one side is presented. They get very frustrated when they see it presented as an either or binary option. And I think that that's the same for students when they see this come up, not just in student governments, but in other identity groups, in other social justice groups. The students who are Jewish students are involved in social justice groups and other identity groups because they have an identity that's bringing them there. They're, they have an interest that's bringing them there. And I would like to think that many of our students want to get involved in social justice group because their Jewish identity and their Jewish values are bringing them into those social justice groups. So I think that many students, if they're in these groups and they hear something anti-Israel from the leadership of their groups, or they see those groups stand in solidarity around statements like this, they feel like at that moment they have to make a choice. Are they going to say something? Are they going to stay involved in that group? Are they going to leave the group? Are they going to bring their Israel relationship into that space in a public way? Are they going to do it privately? Those are some of the really meaningful conversations I'm having with students about 
their involvement in campus and how they bring themselves into those spaces or whether they should stay in those spaces. I always encourage our students, stay in those groups if those issues are important to them. They really don't need to feel like they have to wear an Israeli flag into the room because their Zionism isn't what brought them into the room in the first place. But hopefully by being in that room, they're going to have an opportunity to engage in conversation with their peers, hear their perspective, but also at some point be able to share their own feelings about how they're impacted by these kinds of statements or by these kinds of moments of solidarity on campus. So I want to follow up on the binary that you mentioned, really the false kind of notion that this binary kind of exists and the need for us to kind of have a broader perspective. So with that in mind, where on campus are there productive conversations about Israel and about Jewish identity happening? I see these kinds of conversations happening every day on campus. It's happening within our Hillel, in the dialogue groups that and the dialogue opportunities that our Israel groups are creating. We have a particular group called iLead. Their focus is on education and dialogue and being able to bring challenging speakers to our students and creating a space where diverse students can come together and engage in this conversation in a really safe way. I also see it happening. We have an Israel Big Questions Fellowship that our students participate in that dives in deeper about their own relationship with Israel and helps them understand when something anti-Israel comes up on campus, why are they impacted by it? And what part of their Jewish identity is even triggered by that? Are they even triggered by that? Do they care when these things happen? Um, And we find that the students who participated in that Israel Big Questions Fellowship last year, they felt more equipped to be able to bring their voice to the conversation this summer, not just directly to leaders in student government, but also just to their friends through who they were seeing them post different things through social media. They felt that they could engage in conversation with their friends about what they were seeing being posted online. I want to share one story about the vibrancy of Jewish life. And it came in a moment when these incidents were really emerging on our campus a couple of years ago. And so we had a parents come visit us a few years ago. We were having a huge Shabbat dinner. There were probably 400 people in the room. His daughter was an active leader in our Hillel and was so happy on campus and just so happy to show her parents what her experience was like on campus. And this parent came up to me And he said to me that he's so upset with some of the anti-Israel stuff that was happening on campus that he never would have allowed his daughter to come to Michigan had he known this was going to happen. And I just thought, look around you. Look at what an amazing Jewish experience your daughter is having, um, what leadership opportunity she has. Really, I was thinking that this, this moment, this vibrancy of Jewish life, this community building, these leadership opportunities, that's what she's going to take with her when she graduates and thinks back about her time on campus. Tilly, if you could give, you know, I think that, that or not disconnect, but the two sides, one of what often receives coverage and one that receives less coverage, if you could give the broader Jewish community kind of one sentence of what they should really understand about the campus experience, what would that be? 
You know, as I say, I really appreciate the concern that people have for our students outside of campus. And I think that it's so natural based on what you're hearing reported. These moments, they're hard. But what I want everyone to know is that our students at the University of Michigan, they're happy. They feel safe. They know that they have a strong Hillel and a large, strong Jewish community that's behind them. I tell our students that at some point over the next four years when they come in as freshmen, yes, there's something that is going to come up on campus in their time here that's anti-Israel or anti-Semitic. I cannot prevent that from happening. Any organization out there that says that they can prevent it from happening, they're either being unrealistic or not truthful. These incidents will happen, but they will be sporadic. And what's important is that there's an active, vibrant Jewish community with programming every day for students to take advantage of. So I ask our students, do you want to feel your Jewishness only in those moments where something anti-Semitic arises and as a trigger or in opposition to those incidents? Or do you want to enjoy and celebrate and grow in your Judaism through all that Hillel has to offer all of the other days of the year. The one last thing that I want to say, and I and you brought this up earlier because you mentioned campus administration, I think that there's often this idea about administration not being responsive. And I'm on campus every day and I see how much they care. What I see is that sometimes these incidents come up on campus And before the university knows, before I know, it's already out there on social media in some way. There's a lot of support for our students. And what I want them to know, what I want our community to know is that not just the Hillel is there to support them, but our campus administration does care about them and is there to support them. So let's turn to ties within the Jewish community. We're living in a time of increased polarization. And one of the cherished things about academia is that it brings people together. You know, it feels like eons ago that I was in school, but that was something that was really a highlight of my experience of meeting people and engaging with people from different walks of life. So campus serves as that melting pot. How is Hillel working to foster that diverse and vibrant type of Jewish community on campus? And I would focus there on the diversity, since many of our students who are heading to campus this fall are going to have the wonderful opportunity of engaging with fellow Jews who are different than themselves. Right. I think what's so interesting about this time, I find more and more that our students are coming to campus looking for their own people, people who share similar identity, um, similar values, similar ideas. There's a comfort when you go to a new space in finding people who share those same interests and values. And I think through our Hillel, that's what we're able to do when... You know, we have, I think at this point, over 40 different groups that represents the different identities and interests of our students. So if you want to do sports, if you want to play hockey, then you get involved in our Hillel Hockey Group. If you are um, a feminist looking for a feminist community, you join our feminist circle. If you're an engineer looking for other people to study with, you join Jenga, which is my favorite acronym of all of our groups, our Jewish Engineering Association. You can really find your people. And we have that in our Israel groups as well. We have that in our religious groups. But I think that there's a flip side to that. And the challenge of finding your people is that sometimes you feel that you don't need others. You reject other groups. 
And it's not just politically. I find that religiously, it's harder to hold our groups together. So all of the Hillels that are out there, there's really this balancing act that we're doing. How do we support the individual students? How do we help them find the students who they share common interests, values, identity with? How do we hold them together as a broad community? And how do we create a space where they want to still be a group within that broader community, knowing maybe there are other groups who do things different than them or who may have very different ideas of what does it mean to support Israel on campus? And so it's more challenging. Pluralism, I think, is more challenging for communal organizations today to hold everyone together, to help them see the value of being a part of a broader community, of even being in spaces where they're going to disagree with others. But pluralism still remains critical to who we are, to what we do as Hillel. It may be unpopular and against the trend right now, but I think that is really long-term is critical for our Jewish community to be able to hold these spaces and hold our communities together. For our students who are heading to campus this fall, what is one piece of advice you would give them? As expected, I'm going to tell you to go to Hillel. But even if, you know, there are students who I've met at Hillel in the first couple of weeks, and I always say to our freshman class right at the beginning of the year, we try to be the only no-guilt Jewish organization out there. You know, you come once, maybe that first Shabbat dinner of the year is the first and only time you're going to show up at Hillel. I hope it's not. I hope you come more. But It's our responsibility to put things forward for you. It's your responsibility to show up. That's the only onus that's on you as a student. But really, if you show up at the Hillel building or for one event and you're able to see who is it that's here, who works here, what is this resource, what does it offer me, that even if you don't come back and take advantage of everything that we have to offer, Just know that we're here for you in all the good times and also the challenging times. So if something does come up in your next four years of campus, you know that Hillel is the address to go to. You know that you're going to find somebody there who's going to listen to you, who's going to support you, and who's going to help direct you if there's anything challenging that you have to navigate, anti-Israel, anti-Semitism, mental health challenges, anything that you're going through, really, your Hillel is there for you. And then the last is that You know, I find that many of our students now, because of the narrative about Israel on campus, they feel like Israel on campus is a fight. They feel like Israel is something where they're either looking for the fight or they're expecting it to be a fight or they're trying to avoid a fight and hide away their identity or their views because they want to avoid a fight. And for the most part, it's really not a fight. There are these incidents that come up, of course, But there is so much positive. There is so much where you can engage deeply in Jewish life, in Israel, without the fighting. What's most important is to take advantage of the opportunities that are out there, that are available for you, that you can engage in Jewish community on your terms and not do anything related to Israel at all. Find your people, find your community. And if you do want to get engaged with Israel, I would encourage you to get engaged in all of the positive you can do in all of the other days of the year. And then if something anti-Israel comes up, you'll feel more empowered, more supported to be able to be responsive if that's what you want for yourself. 
Well, Tilly, thank you for your leadership. Thank you for all that you are doing connected to our our Lyft alum at AJC, our many Michigan alum here at AJC. And we are wishing you a wonderful year ahead. Thank you for joining us on People of the Pod. Thank you, Shinatsova. Happy, healthy new year. Enjoy your time on campus. And as always, go blue. I am joined by Dr. Jeff Herbst, president of American Jewish University. American Jewish University has a story legacy and has had a profound impact on American Jewish life, spanning from Mordechai Kaplan's founding up until today under your leadership. It continues to play a critical role in training and educating the next generation of Jewish students and leaders. As students are preparing to return to campus, we wanted the opportunity to speak to a leader who knows that arena well. So, Jeff, thank you for joining us on People of the Pod. Pleasure. Delighted to be here. So let's jump in. You're at the helm of a university which prides itself on scholarship and engagement connected to the Jewish journey, Jewish living. Nearly 18 months into the pandemic, what has changed at American Jewish University? And how has Jewish learning and living adapted for students during the pandemic? Well, we, like everyone else, put our classes online in March of 2020, but we soon decided that it was important that we do more. And so over a weekend, we began our platform, Biaha Together, spirited by AJU, which has since offered over 200 programs to over 100,000 registered viewers. And that's opened up an audience that we didn't quite understand beforehand. We used to think that AJU would serve the people of Los Angeles and Southern California within a 10-mile radius of the university. Now we have an audience that spans the country and indeed the globe. We're going to go back to in-person learning and in-person programming, but we're not giving up the digital audience that we found in which we've discovered has a huge appetite for the Jewish wisdom that we offer. You have this very unique perspective of serving in, having had served in leadership roles at major secular institutions, spanning Princeton, Miami University, and ultimately as president of Colgate. Now you lead a distinctly Jewish institution. What feels universal between the experiences and what has been unique for you as a leader of a Jewish university? Well, it's a great question. And I should note that I was also president and CEO of the museum in Washington, D.C. immediately before this. At one level, of course, it's about knowledge. It's about teaching. It's about trying to help people, whether they're matriculated students or the occasional visitor, make sense of the world as it is and of past learnings. And that's a mission that Princeton, Colgate, Miami have always had. At the same time, being the head of a faith-based institution, we have a particular wisdom, which we want to explore and disseminate, and a particular set of concerns about what is happening with Jewish populations in North America and around the world. You recently penned a piece that received a lot of coverage inside higher ed, calling on your peers to open their eyes to anti-Semitism on campus. What prompted you to write it? 
The immediate prompt was what we saw on college campuses to the extent that they were open in May during the most recent conflict in Gaza, where the level of criticism, the level of antagonism towards Israel and indirectly towards Jewish students, I thought was quite extraordinary. But in the longer term, over the last 10 years, we've seen increasing confrontations, both verbal and occasionally physical, to students who want to support Israel, to in some cases who are obviously Jewish. And so the campus environment has been deteriorating over some time. But I thought there was also a break that we can discuss further in Gaza where things became worse. Of course, many campuses were operating at less than 100% capacity in May. And I wrote the article in large part because I'm very concerned about what's going to happen as campuses repopulate in the fall and that campus administrators don't understand fully or are refusing to acknowledge, much worse, that anti-Semitism is not only a problem on their campuses, uh, but could in some instances lead to real tragedy. And what type of reception did you get from your fellow administrators in California and also throughout your career? Was this something welcome or was there kind of surprised by your need to write something like this? I think many university presidents are aware of the problem. However, they also face a multitude of other issues at the moment, including, of course, writing their institutions after the pandemic. I thought it was important to surface anti-Semitism, both because due most recently to Gaza, but also looking at the long-term trend, that this was an important issue. But also, as I argue in the article, campus administrators are in many ways woefully unprepared to deal with anti-Semitism because it doesn't fit into a particular mindset which codes Jewish students as white and therefore not susceptible to prejudice. I think that mindset is wrong, but it's deep-seated in many bureaucracies across many colleges in the United States, especially in the Student Affairs Division. So one of the things you raise is the need, of course, to welcome legitimate criticism of Israel, particularly the need to embrace, you know, the First Amendment and free speech, something that I know that you, of course, hold dear. But that is married with this reality that many Jewish students are being bullied for being Zionist or pro-Israel. Do you think we're at this point where free speech protections are being used to cover up or not deal with anti-Semitism? And if you do feel like that's the case, how do we establish that clear line? It's always an issue. And as I was head of an institution, the museum, which championed the First Amendment, I'm uh, particularly sensitive to this. I will say that what we've seen is, especially in May of this year, some actions which were so clearly over the line that they called for responses by university administrators, responses which unfortunately were largely absent. For instance, about 120 gender studies programs, centers, and departments across the United States signed on to a letter that was profoundly critical of Israel. Now, individual academics of course, have their own rights of free expression. It is, however, inappropriate for academic departments or programs to take collective views about issues which are way outside their formal area of study. And that creates an atmosphere of intimidation for Jewish students, and I think indirectly 
promotes a level of hostility to Jewish students, which we see realized across campuses. It's inappropriate for academic departments or programs to take positions collectively. And unfortunately, very few university administrators pushed back. I was also struck by some of the rhetoric that was used by academics who were protesting the Israel-Gaza conflict. For instance, at my old alma mater, Princeton, a number of academics and students, including some very high-profile professors, signed on to a letter which said in part, the brutal system that controls Israel and the occupied Palestinian territories is ideologically founded upon Jewish supremacy. There are lines and there are gray areas. That's well beyond the line, as far as I'm concerned, in terms of being anti-Semitic and needs to be called out. So there's always going to be a gray area. But when it comes to institutions trying to take collective views about political issues that should be debated, when it comes to individual academics using anti-Semitic tropes, when it comes to physical intimidation of students, that's all beyond the line. As I wrote in the article, I think university administrators can combat this by taking the initiative and having a speaking dialogue where they bring speakers of all different persuasions and political positions to campus in order to model how dialogue can best be realized rather than simply hoping that one campus speaker or another doesn't incite too much in the way of problems. So Jeff, I want to follow up on that. That really resonated with me in your piece about the need to bring a diversity of viewpoints and really welcome that within a campus setting. You know, this comes as no surprise. We are living in a moment of increased polarization, politically, religiously, culturally. Do you think that it's possible to regain that type of dialogue on the university campus or has that become something of the past? I profoundly believe that it is possible. One of the organizing principles of the campus, of bringing people physically together, was that they should exchange views and learn from each other in an intimate physical setting. Social media has disrupted that. It used to be that students who were interested in the Middle East with one idea or another, how to talk with each other, how to deal with each other because there was no one else to deal with on campus. Now all sides can retreat to social media ecosystems which will support their views and not allow any dissenting opinions. The whole value of a college campus, the extraordinary efforts and costs to bring people together, not only to learn but to live, part of the potential of that to be realized is for people to exchange views. Uh, We may have lost some of that given the speed at which social media has enroached upon us. And of course, the pandemic only worsened it. But as we return physically to campus, I have to believe that one of the things that we want to rediscover is how to deal with people who disagree with you face to face without descending into bigotry. Jeff, we thank you for your leadership. We thank you for all that you are doing within academia, particularly with administrators. And we thank you for joining us today on People of the Pod. Well, thank you. It's been a pleasure. And I should say that I personally have been a tremendous beneficiary of AJC's Project Interchange. It allowed me to travel to Israel with a group of college presidents a few years ago. 
to gain a better understanding of the political situation. And I thought AJC's trip, which exposed us to a very broad range of opinions among Israelis and Palestinians, was in many ways a model of the kind of dialogue that I'm talking about. Thank you so much, Jeff. Thank you. Now it's time for our closing segment, Shabbat Table Talk. And Maggie, you interviewed two guests this week about students returning to college campuses and the challenges that Jewish students in particular face. We are the mothers of two littles, though. So we have, at least in my case, I have at least 11 years to worry about these kinds of things. So how do you approach your job and parenting? How does your job affect your thoughts when you're parenting your little ones? It's something that really, actually, I kept thinking about after both interviews. I think, you know, we heard of the really immense challenges that face Jewish students on campus, but also a lot of the vibrancy. When I talk to my oldest, who's three and a half, about what I do, she knows her dad's a doctor and her mom helps Jews. And from our conversations today, I you know, would have thought that it's not something I ever would really need to broach with my daughter, certainly not at this young age. I don't think I had any concept of um, the challenges facing Jews as a toddler, but I think we're at a moment where we do need to make our kids aware that their identity is something to be celebrated, to be valued, to be core to their existence, but that our community is facing challenges in this moment And we need to find ways to talk about our littles, talk about these issues with them. Yeah. I love that your three-year-old knows that you protect Jews. My seven-year-old has said something very similar. He said, oh, so as a journalist, you held people accountable and made sure people behaved. And in this job, you protect Jews. You protected the public. Now you protect Jews. And I love how he processed that. It made me feel really good about everything (laughs) that AJC does, frankly. You know, I'm not sure about you, but I live in a not very Jewish town in New Jersey, which I know is very rare in New Jersey. But I'm pretty sure that Max and Rose are one of, if not the only, but one of just a few kids in class who are Jewish. And my husband, who grew up in New Jersey, asked me recently if I was uncomfortable with that. And my response was no, because that's how I grew up in Texas and North Carolina. I was the only Jew in class. But my friends didn't know that. And I'm curious if you've given thought to whether or not your children, you know, will advertise that they're Jewish. How does it play out where you are? Yeah. So it's interesting, Manya. I feel like I'm actually living somewhat of a different experience in that I grew up in a very Jewish town in the Northeast. I went to Jewish day school, it was a very Jewish experience and a very Mm. identifiably Jewish experience, meaning those looking in, there was no secret about who I was, what I was. Mm -hmm. And now I'm living in the Midwest, living in St. Louis, a place where there is a vibrant Jewish community here, but it is not uncommon for people to not have met a Jew or not be familiar with that. And though my kids are still deeply involved in the community here, I do think about what do people who see them walking into their Jewish preschool, their Jewish day school, people who don't have the context of maybe those living in New Jersey, 
Are they looking on with wonderment and they want to learn about what's happening there? Or perhaps, and this is something I think that keeps me up at night and other parents too, are there some who are looking at them engaging in Jewish life and thinking about, you know, ill thoughts or, you know, kind of challenges of anti-Semitism that could put our community and our kids at risk. And I think that is a growing challenge for us as parents of wonderful young Jewish littles to have to grapple with and not one that I wanted to ever grapple with. Yes, yes. I remember one summer checking out a summer camp for Rose, and it made me so nervous that it was right next door to a synagogue. It was a wonderful camp and a wonderful synagogue, but I interrogated the head of the camp on security because they were next door to a possible target. And it made me sick to have to ask the questions. But I do remember dropping Rose off at that camp throughout that summer and just worrying. I mean, that's what we Jewish mothers do, right? Yeah. We worry. <laughs> that's true. That is in our DNA. That is fair. But, you know, I think if there's a lesson that I want to take from the students who we see on the front lines at AJC who are engaging in this work, and when I say students, I mean college students. Right is there's this conscious decision of saying, I'm going to be proud of who I am. I am Jewish and proud. I am not going to compromise on my identity. And I think for us as parents, it's incumbent on us to have the conversations with our kids and say, you don't need to, you know, ever be ashamed of your identity, give it up, have any fear. And here is how you need to be aware of the challenges in the world, but also be equipped to call out anti-Semitism, call out hatred. And even at a young age, the conversation is different when you're Mm -hmm. three or when you are 17. But I think that is incumbent about us as parents to have those conversations. Yeah, it's a very tricky balance. I mean, I certainly, we want to raise our children to be Jewish and proud, not Jewish and shy or even embarrassed about revealing that truth, which was was much like my upbringing, Uh, but knowing there is an inherent danger um, in that and and balancing that desire to protect them, I that is that is a tough job as a parent. Yeah. Well, the truth is, we have I think millennia of parents before us, Jewish parents before us, who have navigated this in some way or the other. We could take a page out of their book, but you know, this really kind of is our identity. This is our culture. It's our history. And it's certainly something to be celebrated, even in the face of of growing challenge. Yes. Well, Maggie, I hope you and your family have a Shabbat Shalom. Thanks, Manya. You too. Thank you for listening. This episode is brought to you by AJC. Our producers are Kukong Do and Atara Lakritz. Our sound engineer is TK Broderick. You can subscribe to People of the Pod on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Google Podcasts, or learn more at AJC.org slash People of the Pod. The views and opinions of our guests don't necessarily reflect the positions of AJC. We'd love to hear your views and opinions or your questions. You can reach us at peopleofthepod at AJC.org. If you've enjoyed this episode, please be sure to tell your friends, tag us on social media with hashtag peopleofthepod, And hop on to Apple Podcasts to rate us and write a review to help more listeners find us. Tune in next week for another episode of People of the Pod.